This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson, coming to you from Gadigal Land. And this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. Anthony Albanese and the Labor government came into power hoping to reset the tone of politics. Despite early success and broad support, they're now facing turbulence on multiple fronts. Back to our top story, and Labor's centrepiece housing policy has been blocked by the Greens and Coalition. Some were predictable. The election gave Labor a clear mandate to deliver real action on climate change. But like many battles, this one is complex and locked in a contest of wills. And some seem to have caught them by surprise. Enshrining a voice will be a national achievement. It will be above politics. A unifying Australian moment. A year after he first announced his ambition to unify Australia and enshrine a First Nations voice to Parliament, things have not gone to plan. It will have an Orwellian effect where all Australians are equal, but some Australians are more equal than others. We have just heard every bit of disinformation and misinformation. Today, I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Head of News Mike Tisher about how Labor is responding to the voice campaign and how it might define politics in the future. It's Friday, the 4th of August. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Gabs. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Labor's been in power for 15 months now, and it was relatively smooth sailing for a while, Lenore, but they seem to be entering some choppy waters now. What's going on? I guess it's some of what one would have predicted at this point in the electoral cycle and then some added drama thrown in. Anthony Albanese's strategy from the get-go was pretty obvious and, you know, pretty successful, it has to be said. He took things really carefully. He dialed down the agro and the culture wars. He was diluting or starting to overcome that feeling that people had that politics was just a sort of soap opera where they were only really worried about themselves and not real people. And 
He was really set on laying the foundations for long-term government. And I think he did that. He learnt the lessons of the regular years and he did that successfully. I guess 15 months in, one would expect that there was points where that kind of cautious approach would be hitting up against people's expectations or hopes for a government. And that is certainly happening on a number of policy fronts. That is happening. But on top of that, there is this really difficult, combustible voice debate, which I think seems to be really challenging the Labor government. It's giving Peter Dutton a culture war or the fight that he was trying to find and failing to find up until this point. And so I think what's interesting to think about is how that's all going to come together for Anthony Albanese. You know, he's sort of hitting the point where the honeymoon period is finishing and there's all these pressures, the ones he predicted, and probably this voice debate is happening in a way that he probably didn't entirely predict. Mm. Should we start with the fights he may have predicted, Mike? What are the parliamentary battles they're fighting right now? I guess the main one is on housing. Seems to have been going on forever. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) With Labor's proposal for what they've called the Housing Australia Future Fund proposal, um, which the Greens find not radical enough on housing, they want much more money spent and some more measures to try to make the state's impose rent controls and other things to uh, help renters. We'd hoped that the government stopped playing politics, threatening early elections, and came to the table to work out a plan that actually started to tackle the scale of the crisis. Which appeals to their constituency and, understandably, you'd think would, could be popular. Labor's resisting that fight is carrying on backwards and forwards in the Senate with the crossbenchers as well as the Greens. The Greens need to vote for this legislation. Uh, You can't say that you're supporting uh, housing, supply and and more public housing and then vote against it. And rents are going up precipitously. Mm, Yeah, I mean, it is a live issue among other people. This is not just something that's going on in sort of ivory tower of parliament. It's certainly something that people care about. But I don't feel like, well, for one thing, it's not resolved yet. But the legislation itself doesn't seem to be something that's setting people on fire in the mm. community. You know, it's not it's not massively damaging the government. Although not, it might give the yet. Greens something pretty tangible to campaign on if if they don't get any more. Yeah, for sure. Then there's there are many environmental issues around, which in a similar way, most of the pressure in Parliament at least is coming from what you would call the left, I guess, from the Greens, that Labor's not going far enough on various environmental issues, not doing enough to make good on its promises to bring down emissions to reach its targets that it's that it got through in legislation last year. In the middle of this climate crisis, you keep approving coal mines and gas projects. Will you commit to showing global leadership and stop approving more coal and gas mines? Or are you happy to see Australia burn too? There's also the um, PRRT, so the tax on the offshore gas industry, which, as it was proposed in the budget, was so incredibly modest that the gas industry thought it was a terrific idea. Mm. Now the Greens and the crossbench have come back and said they think it should double the revenue and Labor's saying no. So that means they're going to have to find votes from the coalition. The coalition is saying that they want to bring down the barriers for new gas fields and new fossil fuel developments, which will lead back into the pressure from the people who are concerned about climate change within Labor and within the voting public. So that's just another pressure point, which we probably could put in the bucket of pressure points that we say are 
predictable at this point and probably the government anticipated were coming. So I guess that in Parliament, at least, it feels like most of the pressure other than on The Voice is coming from the Greens currently, from the left. But obviously the Voice is a completely different matter and that's the one that's really been dominating media discussion. Again, unclear how much traction that's getting in the wider public, but all the polls suggest that the Yes campaign is not doing well. But we do have to talk about mm. The Voice, right? It's been a year now since Anthony Albanese gave his Gama speech and he said this proposal he hoped would unify the country. I ask all Australians of goodwill to engage on this. Respectfully, purposefully, we are seeking to secure support. How do you mm. think that's going, Lenore? Not very well. I think this is the issue where his approach really isn't working. I think, you know, his sort of steady as you go, try and avoid culture wars and heated discussions and over ideological fights was in line with the way the Yes campaign wanted to run their side of the argument, which was as a grassroots, positive, inspirational type of campaign. And, you know, we all understand why they would have wanted to do it that way. But then the coalition cemented in behind the No campaign. The moderates lost that argument on the conservative side of politics. And there was this sort of vacuum where neither the Yes campaign nor the government were doing very much that we could see. And the No campaign just flooded the zone with, in part, you know, their their arguments, but also particularly online with a lot of really sort of insidious misinformation or slightly warped arguments that take both things that people have said or what has happened to date completely out of context. And I think that the combination of the virality of that campaign and the absence of really convincing, obvious, clear messages from the yes side, I think it's it's really working and it feels like the yes campaign and increasingly the government don't really know how to respond. I get that they don't want to be on the defensive, sure, but and that they might not want to answer every single piece of misinformation or every single question. But at the moment, they're neither doing that nor making a loud and proud case for the yes side. And it's looking like they're kind of vacating the field a bit. Mm. And it's looking like Anthony Albanese is not really fighting for what he said he so fervently believed in. I mean, he is, Mm. but he's not out there making the case as strongly and he's being wrong-footed, if you like, by the no side. I think that really showed in an interview with Patricia Carvelis this week on Radio National, Mike. Do you support a treaty, Prime Minister? Uh, Look, what is before uh, the Australian people uh, is uh, a referendum uh, which is about voice, which is... In response to claims, increasing claims from the no side that, in fact, the voice is just a precursor to a treaty which would be, in their view, a terrible idea. (laughs) And lead to reparations and payments. All kinds of things. Which it it is. Well, yeah, because... I mean, it is. This is the problem problem with Albanese's answer was he was asked, is there a treaty coming? Is this part of what what you're asking for? And he said, basically, no, it's not, even though that is part of the statement from the heart. Your government's commitment to those other elements is important. Are you still committed to Commonwealth negotiating Patricia, treaties? Patricia, Patricia, well, well, where does it say that? 
It doesn't even say that in the Uluru Statement from the heart. It doesn't say that. It doesn't speak about the Commonwealth negotiating treaties. It doesn't say that, Patricia. So don't get sucked into... Oh, I'm not sucked into uh, anything. I just want to know that's the process, voice, treaty and truth-selling. And treaty is part of it. And he, if, if he's not going to defend that, then he's putting himself in a really weak position because he's denying what he's supposedly is the origin story of this whole this whole referendum is the, the statement from the heart, he which, said, he, which he has which he has you know he, he said Labor would establish a Makarata Commission with responsibility yeah. for truth telling and treaty. Well, yeah. you know, like he does look like he's avoiding what he said before. By all means, say you you know it's down the track. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a while. There's treaty negotiations going on in the various states. The federal one is not imminent. But yeah, don't shy away from the fact that this is this is part of the what we're yeah. asking for. And I, I mean, you understand they don't want to let the campaign get diverted by discussion about the next step. And because you know the no campaign is really latching onto things out of context, that idea of you know maybe there might need to be reparations is a dangerous thing to sort of let loose at the moment. Sure, I understand that they don't want to get diverted, but the only way to win an argument is to engage in the argument, to lead the debate, to make the case, to have the fight. And they kind of look like they're ducking and weaving rather mm. than doing that. He's known. He had a reputation as a political fighter, though. Has that fight gone out of him or do you think there's still room for him to change strategy? I think that they are wrong-footed at this point. I think they don't quite know how to respond to the way that the No campaign and Peter Dutton is conducting themselves in this debate. They're clearly frustrated I think, you know, you can't write things off at the moment. There is a positive campaign going on. There is a grassroots campaign going on. There's a long way to go yet. We don't even have definitively a referendum date. But I do think it would be really bad for the government and really bad for Anthony Albanese to have invested this much political capital in The Voice and then to have it fail. But what would be even worse is if there was a perception that they hadn't really tried or that they'd kind of walked away from it, that they didn't have the courage of their convictions. You know, we saw what happened to Kevin Rudd when he shelved the emissions trading scheme. You know, there were political reasons to do that. In the politics of the time, you could see why he did it. But what people saw was that this was, at one moment, it was the best response to the greatest moral challenge of our time. And the next moment, we weren't going to do it anymore. And Anthony Albanese went out so strongly in support of The Voice that if he isn't going to actually strongly argue for it, then I think that is almost the most potentially damaging thing for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's weird that they have not found a response to the misinformation because he talked about that in his karma speech last this time last year. There may well be misinformation and fear campaigns to counter, but perhaps the greatest threat... To- so what was their strategy to, <laughs> to counter them? Um, that is not apparent. So what does he have to do now? Well, it's not all and only on him. I think mm. the voice campaign has to figure out a strategy and it's and it's a hard thing to do. Like I don't exactly know how you would do it to proceed with their grassroots campaign, to proceed with their arguments, to really make their positive arguments clearly. But I think they're going to have to try to counter some of this misinformation because it really is... It's really taking hold, you know, and it's happening in quite an insidious way, the way they're deriding any successful Indigenous person arguing yes as an elite. The 
cartoons with obvious racist tropes in them, which they're not shying away from. I think there's a really toxic debate happening online, under the line, if you like, from some of these things, and sometimes in the material that they are posting themselves. It's driving anger and it's driving division. And I think what it also risks for Labor, sort of broader than just the voice debate, is creating this kind of community, creating a kind of bubble of people who are angry and aggrieved, that same sort of bubble of people that have been created in other jurisdictions of angry, sort of aggrieved people who are then, you know, ripe for other messaging about other issues that, you know, might be different from what Labor is talking about or might be conducive to the coalition. I think what's happening could have broader ramifications for Australian politics than just for the voice debate itself. There is another danger if the yes side loses the referendum that it may encourage the government's tendency to be even more cautious about other things as well. The whole tone has been steady as it goes. We're not going to, you know, as a quote is, frighten the horses. And if the referendum goes down, then you do think that might reinforce that tendency rather than encouraging them to go beyond and then propose more imaginative and more inspiring things. And I think there are two particular areas where that is going to be a huge problem. First is the environment, because that is a crisis that is acute and not responsive to um, steady, steady as it goes, incrementalism. <laughs> yeah. And the second one is cost of living, where, again, in his rhetoric, Albanese was very, you know, raised ex- expectations, saying, no, you know, no one will be left behind. And the cost of living crisis, which is embedded particularly in the divide between people who have access to owning property, either themselves or their parents, and those who don't, is becoming increasingly stark and a sort of existential problem, but a really long-term problem for Australia. And if that is not addressed by something more than incrementalism, then that is a problem both for the government and for the country more generally. Mm. But Albanese, I guess he did get sort of properly mad during question time on Thursday. I think it was when Peter Dutton put forward a motion saying it was the government and the yes case that was dividing the nation. And I think that really seemed to trigger the Prime Minister and he got quite cross and pointed out that Peter Dutton was the person who had walked out of Kevin Rudd's apology to the stolen generation all those years ago. In that moment of national unity, there were only a few people who were so, so determined to sow division that they just couldn't cop the concept of saying sorry for the wrong thing being done, for children being stolen. And that it was Peter Dutton who wasn't going to Gama on the weekend. And I once again invite him to go to Gama to actually talk with Indigenous Australians to move away from his dirt unit and sit in the red dirt there in Arnhem Land. And And he really did seem to get a bit of fight in him in that exchange. I don't know if this was, you know, being triggered in question time or or something that is a portent of things to come. Mike, I don't know what you think. Well, well, I guess we'll find out. (laughs) But, yeah, he certainly seemed fired up by that idea, especially that what Dutton put forward, that if it was 51-49 outcome, that would be a divided nation. Yeah, he's like literally moving the goalposts. Yeah. Bearing in mind that you need a double majority. Members on that my right. splits our country straight down the middle. Straight down the middle. 
Whereas, in fact, if it was 51, 49 and four states, then obviously that they satisfies won. the <laughs> yeah. requirements of the referendum. But we'll have to wait and see if that uh, if it's the new Albanese after Gama, perhaps. But um, Or maybe yeah. using Gama to sort of, you exactly. know, re- reboot the Yes campaign. Fire up again. And, of course, you know, the No campaign is claiming that the voice would be divisive. But in my view, the most divisive thing and the most difficult outcome from this would be if the voice is voted down, where that would leave Indigenous Australians, you know, the Indigenous Australians who have been talking and campaigning and lobbying on this issue of some form of proper reconciliation, some form of proper recognition for decades now and have invested so much in this process. And if it can be undermined by a, you know, a pretty simplistic scare campaign and the Australian populace votes against it, why would they engage with that system anymore? I mean, I fear for what would happen then and what the reasonable response from Indigenous Australians would be and how damaging that would be for the future of relations between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. I think it really, you know, it bears thinking about. It makes me wonder about whether the rhetoric about unity was a mistake because it's Obviously, that's a desirable thing, that all Australians would be unified in getting this thing through. But it sort of opens up an obvious way for it to be attacked, which is you make a division. <laughs> like the, the, the No campaign has, its strategy has been to divide and then it says, oh, look how divisive this campaign mm, yeah. is. And then that sort of sucks the air out of a strategy that says this, this proposal is going to unify Australians, mm. which is not a, you know... You don't want that to be the case, but it kind of left open a, an obvious an obvious way for it to be punctured, I think. And as Mike says, it bears thinking about what the lessons would be that Labor would draw from the voice going down, but it also bears thinking about what lessons the coalition would draw because surely they would then be emboldened to uh, either run or be associated with campaigns like this on a whole number of issues Like I said before, I think it could sort of start to really change the way politics is done in Australia. Next, consulting and cakes. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters, or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. 
right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Lenore, what is it for you this week? Um, for me, it is a story by our reporter, Henry Bello about the finance department entering into a $32,000 contract with an external consultant to provide advice on how it should engage other external consultants, which seems <laughs> ridiculous. Um, the consultant who's getting the $32,000 contract is actually um, someone very respectable and good, Simon Longstar from the Ethics Centre. But what he's been hired to do is to help the Department of Finance decide how to best engage with PwC and the spin-off company that, you know, was bought for a dollar, Skyne. Now, he's a fine fellow. I'm sure he'll provide excellent advice. But apart from the sort of seemingly ludicrous nature of the contract, that suggests they still want to engage with PwC and Skyne, which I find interesting. Yeah. <laughs> also doesn't give me great confidence in our public service that no. they can't figure this out themselves. Exactly. Um, Mike, what can't you get out of your head? Mine is a much more trivial story, although equally has elements of the bizarre about it, which is a, a UK story we've run uh, this week about a row involving birthday cakes, apparently ordered by a minor celebrity in the UK, an actor in Coronation Street, uh, for her 40th birthday, but via an agency who apparently asked the bakery in Yorkshire to provide 102 cakes and in in return as payment rather than money, <laughs> they would give them, they would give them like um, social media exposure and uh, promotion. So why did they need 102 birthday cakes? It was a 40th birthday party for an actor. It's like they some wanted small, to give everyone one individual main, one, cakes. Oh, smaller, one little one, cake for everyone, not yeah. 102 a, big birthday cakes. One big cakes. cake yeah. and then 100 little ones? I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but the, the theme that they asked for the party was, quotes, camp as tits. <laughs> Okay, now I have those cakes in my mind and I don't want them there. It's just so enraging that people... We don't have pictures of the cakes, unfortunately. Think they don't have to pay for things. The response from the bakery owner was great, I thought. They were asked for their thoughts. <laughs> they said, unfortunately, as my mortgage provider doesn't take payment quotes in the form of promotion on their socials and my staff can't feed their kids with exposure on Instagram, I'll have to decline your very generous offer. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Lenore. Thanks, Gab. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Daniel Simo. Full Story will have a special episode out this Saturday talking to Kieran Pender about the Matildas and we'll tell you everything you need to know to make sure you have a great time watching on Monday night. So tune in for that and I'll be back with you on Monday in Full Story. See you then. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.